Let's pray. Father, you are good. Um, oh, you're good. Um, that you have lavished your love on us, that you are so generous in love and mercy and grace, that you have given us so much and that uh, you've changed our hearts and caused us to also want to be generous and merciful. And I pray, uh, thank you first for your generosity in our church at Hope. All that you've given us and allowed us to do your work in our communities and in the lives of the people in our church, and that more people can know you and be blessed and cared for. That we have opportunities to bring food to the people in our community and to bring life uh, in your name. Uh, and I thank you for all those in our church who are generous and sacrificial in their giving. And I pray that you would stir in our hearts that more would see um, the opportunity for great joy there is in being generous. Uh, and I pray to you, lastly, that you would bless us in, in your wisdom, in your discernment, and how um, this, uh, the, this, this money is used, these funds are used, that they would be used to glorify you and that more would know you. Lord, you're good to us. We thank you for that. I pray to you that... Um, these words that I say now in, in Psalm 8 would be your words and that you'd bless us and you'd draw us closer to you in that. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, I know for some that's helpful and some uh, that's like, that's a uh, strange thing. And for some that might feel uh, uncomfortable because you, uh, in church, hearing about money can bring up uh, maybe past experiences that weren't so great. So thank you for stopping to... Um, to hear that, and we're gonna, we're going to move right into Psalm eight. So, if you have a Bible, if you're a paper paper Bible um, reader, we're going to be in Psalm eight, or maybe your device you want to pull out and and read in that. Um, we're going to be in Psalm eight. I I had the chance. We shared this a little earlier. Our question of the day uh, uh, way back when we started this morning was, "What do you find beautiful?" And um, a few people mentioned Colorado. We heard Sed Sedona, Arizona. Uh, British Virgin Isles, um, all sorts of beautiful places. Often uh, when someone asks that question, it's, cre it's creation, it's uh, mountains and forests and rivers um, and oceans. I heard from a friend recently, they got to go scuba diving and they said uh, there's a whole world they had never known existed under, under the water. And I had this experience um, when we got married. I mean, our wedding was beautiful. Um, but we went to Colorado. I had never been to Colorado or even in mountains before, like in real deal mountains. Um, and we uh, went, went there with family. And we, uh, the, I remember vividly the one day because we drove up a side of a mountain and stopped at this lookout. And we walked out to this little area where you look out and there's I mean, enormous mountains. You can't believe how big uh, these, you know, the earth is there. And and how it affects you, how your whole being like is affected by it. And you're in awe of it. And I, what I remember is that feeling. And I remember looking down a line of people that were with me, family um, and people, strangers, right? Who had just also stopped there. And the same things were coming out of everyone's mouth. How beautiful. This is amazing. I can't believe God created this. Wow, is that, God is so good. He would create this even out of mouths of people that don't, I don't often hear that. I don't often hear um, praise or even mention of God, but people saying, wow, I can't believe God 
create this. In fact, hearing here heard a phrase down the line, someone sharing, uh, how could you not believe there's something, uh, a God or creator when you're in the midst of this beauty, this majesty? Uh, wow, to, to be in a place in creation, looking at a pile of rocks with some snow on top and some trees and there's a goat up there and it causes you to uh, to recognize, right? It's this recognize that even God exists just from seeing his creation, recognizing the creator and not just the mountains, not just saying, well, these mountains are beautiful. Let's worship these mountains, but whatever made these mountains, let's worship that. And that's, that's really the heart, I think, of Psalm 8. This is a psalm uh, that we see um, the author gets so excited about seeing creation that they um, just kind of overflow how good God is. And then it actually turns to what God has done and who he has made us. And so today I'm excited to be reminded of how good our God is, be encouraged to maybe stop and remember how good he is in his creation, but also be reminded of how, what he's created us for um, and that he hasn't just made us to sit around and look at creation. And so that's the hope today in Psalm 8. We're going to um, hop right into it. We are in the series of uh, Psalms, and we've been talking uh, about Psalms being kind of a mixtape. Uh, I've, I've really, uh, for, for myself, that's it's helpful when I'm reading the Psalms to think, what is this next Psalm, and what mixtape is this for? I, I think Psalm 8 is a mixtape uh, of David seeing, uh, we're going to see here, the heavens, the moon and the stars, and him making a mixtape to express his feelings about, about when you see that, how overwhelmed you are by this beauty of the heavens around him. So he's making, he's putting songs on this mixtape, and he's writing songs for this mixtape that are expressing that. We've talked about all the different types of mixtapes and how the Psalms often can be uh, used, we can go to the Psalms for whatever we're feeling, however we're experiencing life. Um, and so today's mixtape is Psalm 8. Um, and let's, let's get into Psalm 8. We're going to um, just read through the whole thing here uh, quick, and then we'll, we'll head back and, and walk through it together. Um, so let's get to it. I got some words here so we can read it together. This is Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals in the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all this, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We hear this language, this overflow. We can almost picture uh, him standing down from us in front of mountains in the night sky and looking up and saying, you're so majestic. You're so good. You're so big. And wow, I, you almost don't have words, right? I love, I like that this psalm is even short. It like just, I am overwhelmed by all that you've created and how you have put us uh, even in charge of those things. Let's, 
let's just walk through so that we don't miss uh, anything too important here. And Psalm 8, this Psalm starts with the Lord, our Lord, which I think is interesting. It's not just repeating it. The Lord with all the capital uh, Lord, all the capital letters is actually the word for Yahweh. And so in our Bibles, it's written uh, uh, Lord, all capitals. And then it says our Lord. That's actually a different word for Lord. It means master or Lord. Like if you uh, our Lord, you know, our Lord and lady, if you watch old timey, um, you know, show we just watch the three musketeers and people call each other Lord. They'd walk up to people. Um, so it's like our master. So it's saying God creator and our master, like our ruler, our king. How majestic is your name in all of the earth? He's saying, our creator and king, your name is just shouted from everywhere by, by all of this creation. And he reminds us that you have set your glory in the heavens. When we look up to the heavens and we see your creation, we, we are compelled to be reminded of your glory. You're the one who created I love this next verse. I think it's an interesting verse. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Kind of strange. He's a, he says, your glory is in the heavens. And then he quickly, we look up to the heavens. We zoom down to standing with us, right? A baby, an infant, vulnerable, small. We might not always see as very wise or articulate, right? Uh, even disobedient. And he uses them to say, through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against enemies. Our enemies, whether that's Satan, sin, right? Our, the people coming against us, you are able to push a stronghold. You're able to fight against them, even with through the words of children and infants. Just your name on the lips of a child is strong enough to silence the foe and the avenger, to silence Satan's attacks. This is how powerful you are, God. Even a small, weak, vulnerable child is more powerful when you, your power is within it and behind it. What an amazing image, right? This is actually the psalm that is quoted when Jesus is with children and people are saying, get the children away. Uh, so, you know, so like the adults can talk to Jesus and he says, no, 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 no. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemy. He says, no, do you remember that? that bless these children, right? He, he quotes Psalm 8. And as we continue then, he says, this, this is how powerful, how, how amazing, majestic you are, God, that you can use children, uh, even children, right? I just love that. I think, oh. If he can use children, he could use me. And then he says in verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, he's looking up to the heavens and re re remembering that God is the one who set each star in place and each moon in place. And we, and we look up, if you've ever been, if you've ever seen the stars, I remember one of the first times when I was young and I worked at a camp and one of the first nights we laid out on this bluff Everyone said, we got to look at the stars. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. That sounds fun. Being a city kid, oh, that's cool. I, I don't mind seeing a few stars. And we laid on um, the, just on this hillside at night and the sun went down and I did not know there were so many stars. Right? Yeah, I didn't know there was just billions of stars. Almost, you can almost see depth in them. One's brighter and, and dimmer as they went out. And, 
and moons, and you'd see shooting stars. I thought, I didn't know this world existed, right? Because I had all this city light kind of polluting my view, and, and I saw this beautiful heavens. And so he's, again, as I said, just like when I was on the side of the mountain, he's amazed and thrilled uh, by seeing this. And when he sees this, it then puts in contrast as he looks to his friends next to him on the mountainside, right? What is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You're so incredible, so big, so loving and gracious and powerful. Why would you even consider us? Now this Psalm, he goes on then to, to share, actually he's put people in place to care for the other creation, not just the heavens, but all of these, uh, the animals, right? in the world and the other part of creation. This psalm, though, really reflects, um, if, you, if you were standing there with the author as he read this and talked about this, you'd be reminded of Genesis 1. It really is a rephrasing of Genesis 1. Let's, let's look quick at what Genesis 1 looks like. Genesis 1 uh, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's the same word we see in Psalm 8. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless. It was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the water. So it says God created out of formless. He created form. He brought order to chaos. It was empty. He brought actually substance to something that was empty. In darkness, he brings light, we see right after this, in, into the darkness. So he takes what was dark and empty and formless and makes order uh, fills it with substance and light. So we're seeing the same thing happen. And then Genesis 1 goes on in verse 27. All these, these are the, you know, on the first day he created this, the second day he created this, then he created this, and the animals and the water and uh, all, all of it, right? He creates all this. And then uh, verse 27, we get to it says, so God created mankind in his own image. He finally then gets uh, to day six, and it says he's created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on earth. God said all that he had made, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God creates all the things. He creates animals. He creates all the, all the things around us. And then he creates people. And he creates them differently than he creates the rest of the things. He creates them in his own image. And he blesses them and he says, now go and rule over. The same phrase, take care of all of the things. It's the same phrase we see in Psalm 8. Now go and take care of those things, even the fish that are in the sea. So before anything goes wrong, we in Genesis 3, people decide to stop worshiping God, worship themselves, turn to things other than God, and things get real bad. But even before that, God's plan was that he'd create this beautiful thing and he would use us to take care of it. His people would take care of it. His family would take care of this. Our family business was taking care of the creation around us. So I think this is our first stop today um, on what I want us to, to be reminded of in Psalm 8. At three stops today, this is stop number one. I want us to remember that we are people who must, must 
look and pause and remember God's good creation and that this was his plan always, was to create this good creation and then have his family take care of it, uh, rule over it, so sub subdue it. It's this idea that we actually learn what it looks like to bring life and flourishing, to bring light and form to things, that we, that we bear the same image as God. It actually says so in, in Genesis 27 here, it says make it in his own image. This is where we uh, hear the word image bearers. Often we hear that phrase. In fact, recently we've heard that phrase a lot as, as we've been talking about George Floyd and people saying he's an image bearer of God. We cannot forget that people are image bearers of God. And what does that mean? Well, it's helpful to think of it, I think, like this. Currently, we see the image bearers all over the place, not just in people, but think of statues that we have around the world, but in our country right now that are being talked about. Statues are metal forms that are just in a shape, right? And right now we have metal forms that are in the shape of, you know, horses with men riding them who are generals from the Confederacy. And people say, I want those torn down. Now, I don't, I don't think people... I don't think people have a problem with metal formed in a shape, right, in their city. But the, what the problem is, right, what, what people are upset about and why they want those torn down are because of what those represent, what those statues point to, what those remind us of the history that's in those, the moment that that statue might represent, the person that that statue points us to and what that person has done, who they are, the actual works that are connected to that. And so that's what a statue does. It, it doesn't point us. We don't go to look at a statue in a city and say, man, what a cool statue. Maybe we go to an art museum, right? And we see a sculpture, but still that sculpture isn't just, oh, I like that rock has been chipped away a certain way. It stirs something in us and points to other things. And so that's what statues do in the same way. Um, we get the opportunity to uh, bear bear the image of God and be living, moving statues. We People can look to us and go, wow, the, the love and the generosity and the hope, the kindness and grace. And, and they don't come and just worship us, but they worship the one that we're representing, the, the image that we're bearing, the reflection of God that we're bearing. Let, let me share uh, a positive version of this. When I was young in high school, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. Um, and march in the Cherry Blossom Parade. I'm pretty proud of this moment in my life. Uh, and uh, we got to get to tour. I had no idea what I was in for, getting to see all these beautiful monuments. And this is one that really impacted me. I think as a, a person who was just diving into considering art um, and considering even um, what maybe art could be as a career, I was, I was uh, reading a lot and looking into what, what, who artists were and what they could do. And, and I also am a fan of history. And so reading history, all these things combined together. And we went uh, to the Korean War Memorial, which is uh, a big, uh, just a park, within a park. And you can see right here, this picture is, uh, there's like shrubbery on the ground. And there's these incredible statues, which are based off of, 
people who fought in the Korean War. And when you stand there and look over this, uh, this little plaza, you see these statues that transport you to this moment in the Korean War where these men were fighting. Uh, I mean, it's like you're there with them. It's, it was beautiful. I, I was overwhelmed. I had never been in a place uh, and seen a, a static statue, a, a piece of metal that like brought uh, so much emotion to me. Uh, I remember feeling teary and having to like hide my tears because I was a high school boy. And so I, you know, wasn't supposed to be crying at the Korean War Memorial and thinking that all these thoughts, in fact, it, it compelled me uh, to, uh, I took a lot of pictures of it. And I just thought, I want to somehow capture this. Those statues transported me to a different place and gave me a level of gratitude that I had not felt before for people I knew who had served. So my grandfather uh, wasn't in the Korean War, but he served in the Navy. It caused me to actually call my grandfather later. I said, hey, I saw this war memorial and it made me think of you and I was so thankful for your sacrifice. It, it pointed me to something greater. It pointed me to the sacrifice people made. It pointed me uh, to what war could look like. It pointed me to thankfulness. It pointed me to despair and thinking what war could look like. All these things came up from a piece of metal that was shaped, right? So we get the opportunity to look around and see creation and say, wow, and it reminds us of this good God. That's what we see happen in Psalm 8 here. And we're going to see in a minute, that's what we we get to do not just creation around us, but his creation in us gets to do the same um, thing. All right, as we continue here, the second stop I want to make, um, let's hop back into Psalm 8. If, if we are, it's important that we look to the creator. I think it's really important that we stop here also and look um at creation and what can happen if we don't do that. So Psalm 8 takes this turn in verse 4. I don't, I don't know if it would be here um, if Genesis 3 didn't happen. Genesis 3 is when, uh, when the snake comes that we know is God's adversary who's trying to get humans to turn their worship to anything but God, and, and they do. They turn their worship away from God, and we, we have a thing we call the fall where Things fall apart. Things unravel. Darkness creeps back in. Formlessness creeps back in. Chaos. Emptiness. And God says, you've been disobedient. And this, this garden, this place that we live as family and care for creation has been broken now. And so God's people move out of the garden, away from God, and um, this brokenness happens. I don't know if verse 4 happens unless Genesis 3 happens. This is interesting. We're seeing all creation this author has seen creation. He's, he's worshiping God. And then he says something very interesting. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you even care for them. I don't know if that would have happened in the beginning of, of Genesis. But all of a sudden there's this fall. Things are broken. And the author is aware that that has happened. So what, what is happening here? I think something we need to be very cautious of. In Romans 1, we hear... Uh, a version of what happened there. It says, for although they knew God, think, think of Adam and Eve when we're reading this, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They turned from him. They were think, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools 
and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Do you see what happens here? They looked at all of these things around the creation of God, which are good things, beautiful things that should point us to the creator, right? And they said, oh, I want those. I'm going to put my hope in those, my identity in those. I'm going to turn to those for, for life, for light, for, for uh, order, to fill the emptiness. In, in Romans 1 here, it says those, those are foolish things because now we've exchanged our creator for creation. Um, and so I, I just wanted to make this stop because I think Psalm 8 is beautiful. But it makes it, it makes us stop for a moment and says, how, why would you even consider people? And I think some of that might be because David has experienced creation broken and experienced all around him people worshiping creation and not the creator. And so I think we need to take a moment to just remember that and be cautious of that, that we need to take a second to think, how are we not worshiping our creator, but instead his creation? That we stopped bearing his image and we began to just bear our image. Our goal was that people would look to us and not not be pushed and pointed towards our God and creator, but pushed to us. We've created statues of ourselves so that people can worship us. This happens for me, um, makes me think of this on Father's Day with my kids, kind of in two, in two different ways. My kids, as a father, my kids can become this for me, uh, an idol, uh, a statue, a thing that I can look to for my hope and for my identity, depending on how they're behaving. I worry how people think about me and, and I put my hope in them. If my kids are happy um, or if my kids are making me happy is, is my goal, right? That's my purpose. My hope is that my kids right now currently would be doing things that would make me happy so when they don't I get upset or my kids are doing things that uh, don't represent me well and so they're not being good image bearers of me pointing people to me or even I I just want people to worship me so maybe uh, my kids it's not so much what they're doing just that they're not worshiping me when I say something they should say yes sir right yes God you're good and right and everything you do is true. How majestic is your name, dad? Um, and so this weird kind of gross mix of me worshiping my kids and finding my identity in them or or me being upset that they're not treating me like the God that I, I want to be treated like, all that, right? It, it is gross and gross in the sense that it's just not who I was created to be. And it doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring life into myself or my kids or my family. And I have to stop and I have to turn and I have to repent, which just means turning back to God. And so I wanted to stop here for us to remember uh, and, to, and to be cautioned that we, uh, we, we gotta be careful when we see creation, when we see our communities and we, and we say, wow, how beautiful are these people and these things and how beautiful my home and my neighborhood and how beautiful in my my family and my friends, we got to make sure that those image bearers are pointing us to the creator and not calling us to just worship them.
and say, oh, God, that's good. Thanks for this stuff. Now this is my life. And so our first stop was just, I, I, we had to stop and, and worship. I don't know personality-wise how it works for you, but I think for some people, I have maybe just the day, I have days where I, do, I am not thankful of things around me. I, how quick I take advantage of them and how quickly I just see the brokenness around me. And I have days at how quick I am to worship and put my hope in the creation around me. And, and uh, I, I think things change then in verse 5 of our psalm here. This is incredible. Our God who created these things has done this incredible thing in verse 5. It says, let's go to 4 again. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? I understand that. How, how are you, why do you even care about us? You can do anything. And then in verse 5, it says these few words that change everything. You have made them. God, you have made them, made us a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. I mean, you see this change there? It goes from how could you even care about us? Oh, but we can't forget, God, you did something incredible. You made us just a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory. You made us rulers over the works of your hands. I, I, uh, I change these words here. Another way to translate that, which I think helps, helps us, um, is what is mankind that you have been, are mindful of them, mere mortals that you care for them. It's another, another way you could translate that word there. I love mere more, just plain mortals. And this is the part I think that's really important. You have made them a little lower than the God or God and crowned them with glory and honor. I think the first time maybe we're reading through of this, you've made them a little lower than the angels. That causes questions. For me, that's in my Bible. I'm right on the side. What does this mean? Circling the angels. A little lower than angels? What? I don't understand what that means. What's the hierarchy there? What's the org chart of how this works and who's where? But that word actually, I think uh, more clearly, is actually God. So you have made them a little lower than God. Going from, look at all of your creation, how could you even consider people, mere mortals, that in a few sentences, in one sentence, in a few words, it goes, oh, you've actually made them just lower than God and you've crowned them with glory and with honor. That changes how God views us and how we view ourselves. This changes our purpose, that we aren't just here to observe and say how awesome God's creation is, but all of a sudden, we have been given this great task to bear his image and to care for his people. He says mere mortals, and it goes to God who has crowned us. We see the same thing in, in 1 Peter. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood. This is referring to the work that Jesus has done. We're going to talk about this in a second. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood. Gone from mere mortals to royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may uh, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not people, 
but now you're a people of God. You hear that phrasing? It almost sounds the same. Once you were not people, once you were mere mortals, but now you are people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. The way we live, right? The way we bear his image, that they accuse you of wrongdoing. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You hear what it's saying? It's saying, you have been changed. God has made you from not people to a people of God, not receiving mercy to mercy. And then what do we do with that? Well, we live such good lives that even the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, even though they say, what is that life that you're living? They still would see those things and they would want to glorify God. So we would bear the image of God and live in such a way that they would see us and they'd want to glorify our God, that they would write a Psalm 8 and say, the way my friend loves me and cares for me and takes care of the world around them makes me want to glorify the God that they worship. I mean, this is, this is incredible. This is incredible. And it all happens because of this. As we uh, wrap up our last stop here, they want to stop is verse, verse 5 in these few words that start it. You have made them. How does this work? God goes from us in a place of not being his people to his people, and it changes everything and changes us completely. And so um, we see in Genesis, right? We would just walk through the story quickly. God creates the world. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's good. He says it's very good. And then people turn from him and decide to worship creation. It goes from glorifying God to glorifying things around him, worshiping creation, not the creator. And so what's going to happen? People are going to continue to do that. And we see that historically. People continue to find new ways to worship things that aren't God. And they continue to see darkness and, and formlessness and emptiness in their communities in their lives and in their families and in their own hearts and, and, and joy fades. And so what happens is our God comes himself to make these things right. This incredible, powerful creator who's on his throne, who rules over all these things, who could just say, you just messed up, you're done. Could be a, an absentee father who just says, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. Could be an angry father who just says, I am angry and here's my wrath that I'm going to bring down on you. He could just be a father who says, you know, it doesn't matter if you do wrong things. It's cool, right? An unjust father. But instead, he is a just, loving, merciful father who comes down. In, the, in Jesus, sends his son and he dies on a cross to pay for the wrath, to pay for our punishment so that we can be made into his family. The cross is this moment that changes us from mere mortals into his holy royalty. You understand that? We change from mere mortals into holy royalty. Hear this quote. This is one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes um, from one of my favorite essays by him, The Weight of Glory. Um, I read this uh, every year. It just destroys me. This is one. That not only this affects us, but this affects the people around us. This is what he has done. It says when he made them, this is what God has done. There are no ordinary people, C.S. Lewis says. 
You've never talked to a mere mortal. Why? Because, because of the cross, because Christ has died on a cross and has changed us all. How has he changed us? Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is to ours the life of a gnat. They will fade, they will fall. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, we snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What he's saying is that we become immortal. We're not mere mortals, but we are immortal. We become holy royalty in God's family. And look at this, this last line here is so important. Because of that, every person you meet is, is made in the image of God and their story is an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor, depending on where their allegiance falls. And we get the opportunity to help them know that there's a God who loves them, that cares for them, that has rescued them, and they get to have splendor as their as their uh, reward. That's good. That's good news. So, depending on our own personalities or family histories, depending on maybe even how our dad talked to us or if our dad was even around to talk to us depending on our expertises in high school, depending on our friends, or maybe even if we had friends when we were young or in high school or in college or after, from the really hard things that have hurt us or from the great successes in our lives, we read Psalm 8 differently. I think we read it as we are quick to be one to say, how could God care for me? depending on my own experiences, or I could be quick to say, oh, of course God cares for me. I am so good and awesome. But this verse, in the beginning of five, is what we look to, to put us in the right place. We see the same thing as we meet people around us. We also see people either as uh, uh, people who are, we can't believe God cares for them, or we might look to people and say, wow, they are so good, I wish I was them. Almost worshiping them, right? We look to a whole groups of people or an individual and we might hear their accent or watch, see the clothes they have or the car they drive, hear the words they use, the amount of swear words they say, the amount of charities they donate to, or maybe even the color of their skin. And we make a decision if they're people who are mere mortals or if they're holy royalty. And we forget verse five, you made them. And so this is my encouragement to us as we end here. We have to look to verse five in order to be people who remember why people were made and why we were made. And that is to worship and care for those around us, to worship our God and to love those, to love God and love people. So I have a few questions as we wrap up here. We're about to spend a few minutes in prayer. If you want to um, start sharing those prayers, but just some reflection as we end. Uh, as we look back through Psalm 8, remember to be people who observe God's glory around us. My first question is, will you see God's glory around you this week? And what will that glory do? How, how will you move from that? And how do you see yourself or others? I, um, when, you, when you walk by someone today in your walk, or this week, you're taking a walk at the park and you see a person, what instantly you're going to have 
a reaction to that person. Assess yourself, check your heart, and, and turn to the creator. And what creation do you tend to worship? This is a helpful question I ask all, all the time of myself. What am I looking to for my hope and my identity that isn't our creator? And lastly, how will the works of your hands bring glory to God this week? How will you be an image bearer of God this week? Who this week is going to know more of the love and mercy and power of our God because they interacted with you? Who who will you stand and represent? What God will you represent yourself for God? And, and how will people know, know God in that? What an opportunity we have this week to be those people.